everybody, welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. This is episode number 34 and I'm Joel and today we're going to be exploring what is it that, that hundreds of thousands of leaders around the world say about other leaders that they see as being highly effective so I'm going to be speaking to Robert Anderson about this, and he's got a new book coming out called Scaling Leadership, and he's the founder of the Leadership Circle, and they have this developmental 360 tool, the Leadership Circle profile, and hundreds of thousands of leaders around the world have been assessed through this profile, and it's just exploding around the world. And They've studied the the data from these profiles, the, the quantitative data, but they had this idea, like what if we look at the qualitative data? What if we look in the comments section about what leaders are saying about other leaders? And so that's what they did. They, they analyzed all these comments and they found some very surprising and interesting themes. And that's what we're going to talk about in our conversation today. What are these top 10 traits or qualities that highly creative leaders embody. So Robert Anderson, well, just to say a few words about him, let me just check on his website. Well, you know, he's a great guy, um, been steeped in people development, leadership development for decades. And he's been in close working relationship with people like Peter Block and Peter Senge, Robert Fritz, David White, Robert Keegan. And he developed what he called this unified theory of leadership. And he was frustrated with the 360 assessments he found in the world. So he created his own. So I want to clarify some technical terms we're going to use in this interview. Bob's work is based upon adult development theory, the work of, in particular, of Robert Keegan. So we're going to talk about three stages. And these are stages that leaders can develop into throughout their lives and they become generally statistically they become much more effective as they move into each of these stages but it's not guaranteed that they are going to develop into these some of these higher stages so we'll talk about reactive leaders we'll talk about creative leaders and then we'll talk about integral leaders and reactive leaders are really a triumph of development from earlier stages and then they have some limitations they They've internalized the ideas about how one should live from, you know, from society, from their parents and their communities. But they don't know that they've internalized these ideas. And they're, they're kind of oriented to living up to or out of these internalized messages that they've adopted from their upbringing. So they tend to um, comply to those messages. And they could be described as orienting from the outside in. And often they're reactive to these challenges they encounter, blaming the external world. Now, some leaders develop into creative leaders, and these are much more effective. They live from the inside out. You could say that they were authoring their own inner voice. They found this freedom and autonomy. And so therefore, they find it easier to speak their mind and to direct their work. And um, instead of playing not to lose, like the reactive self, they take full responsibility for their emotional responses to life and orient around the question, what would I do if I could? And then there's a further stage of development called the integral stage, which Bob will mention today. And integral leaders tend to be extraordinarily effective especially at leading within complex and certain environments. They tend to have a systemic vision. They focus on holes. And they they kind of they felt confined by that that kind of internally generated autonomous identity from the creative stage. They become a bit suspicious of that and therefore they open out and become much more complex and open to seemingly opposite and opposing views, welcoming polarities not as problems to be solved, but as dynamics to be lived. So I just wanted to give you a kind of a um, very brief description of those stages because Bob will mention them without explaining too much what they are. Okay, before we dive in, one last thing. Bob is one of the key faculty on our online training program, The Art of Developmental Coaching, which is all about how do you coach developmentally. It's a different way of coaching than a lot of other kinds of coaching, but I think it's an idea whose time has come if you look at the world. So 
You can find out more about that by heading to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching. I'll be back at the end to tell you more about that program. All right, let's dive in. Bob Anderson, great to be with you again, my friend. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm really, really well. <laughs> really well. Yeah, I just came off a retreat for a week and a uh, good way to start the year. And, uh, so I'm good, good to mm. go. Well, yeah, and, and uh, another event that's happening for you right now is you're going to be, um, you know, your new book is actually just about to launch. Um, and um, I'd love to talk with you about that book today because uh, I've been kind of checking it out and I've uh, really, really enjoyed it. So I'd love to just explore some of the big ideas in that book today. How's that with you? Well, that's really interesting because that's I've been working on how do I really want to talk about this book going forward, you know, and it's like, I think I want to boil it down to the big ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always have fun. So let's see where it takes us. And, you know, we have freedom to go uh, where we want to go. And just tell me the name of the book. Like, tell me the title. Scaling Leadership. Yeah. Um, and I would, one person asked us when I was touring in Europe, oh, don't we scale leadership all the time? I mean, what's different? And so I really would put a frame on that. How do you scale the kind of leader, conscious leadership uh, that transforms an organization and uh, builds capacity around you or in the organization to create what matters most? Yeah. You develop that kind of leadership, both individually and collectively. And that's what the book's about. Yeah, I'd love to kind of invite you to share a bit about the story behind the book, because I think that's such a beautiful set of powerful context for then the rest of the, the book and the conversation we can have. So, you know, I know you, you were, you've got this, the leadership profile, right. the, the leadership circle profile, and, and you've been examining the uh, qualitative data around that. But just tell me, tell me the story behind it. Uh, the backstory is I had a keynote to do it. Um, down in uh, Sydney for like the fifth or sixth year in a row and at, a, at our conference there. And I was running out of stuff to talk about <laughs> and Bill was going to go with me. So I, I was scratching my head. I finally, I said, Bill, what if we pulled the trigger on this study? And we were really late in the game to do that. Um, we've been thinking about this study and he said, yeah, let's do it. So um, got the data about two weeks before the keynote back. And what we did uh, was we, we said, let's look at our written comments. And we sorted the database a number of different ways that we have. We have about a million and a half surveys now. So we sorted it a number of different ways to, to create a sample, a number of samples. But um, first, we wanted senior leaders from around the world, large organizations, significant positions of leadership. Then we wanted to separate it out between creative, high creative and high reactive. Now that's a measure in our leadership assessment. Um, we have a measure of 18 different key competencies that really define what effectiveness is in leadership. And, and, and we call those creative dimensions and they tie to the developmental framework that we work out of in um, our art of development, you know. Mm. Uh, so, it's basically Keegan's framework of uh, socialized, self-authored, and self-transforming, translated into reactive, creative, and integral leadership. How does leadership show up when consciousness evolves to those levels? So we separate it out into highly conscious and earlier conscious, you know, and the kind of effect. And our effectiveness scores go along with that. So there's a really high correlation between that and measures of leadership effectiveness. So... We got a high creative group and a high reactive group, and then we sampled their written comments. And uh, the, the difference between them blew us away. I mean, it was just, it was like night and day. Uh, and then uh, we, we sifted and sorted that and looked at it a bunch of different ways. And uh, the more we dove into it, the more it just continued to reveal how uniquely different uh, creative and thereby effective leadership is from reactive and less effective or ineffective leadership. It's just stunning data. 
a number of things that tells us. It tells us, we, we did other samples too. We sampled the middle group. So if you think about it in terms of quartiles, it wasn't quite that clean, but we sampled the upper quartile and a lower quartile of leadership effectiveness. And then we went and did the middle quartiles. So we got the whole spectrum. And leaders, the, the, the comments, the written comments, if you count the scores, the statisticians do a content analysis, they sort them into themes and they keep score. How often was this theme mentioned? How often? And they look at the scores. It exactly parallels the qualitative or the quantitative data. So leaders, when they look, when they observe you, you're in a field of uh, the organization, uh, people see you and they see it with precision. And they can, they can see the difference in a leader that's performing at say, what we would call mid-reactive to mid-creative. Those were statistically very significantly different groups and the qualitative comments were very different. So just the difference between the 40th and the 60th percentile on our data just like, Leaders see that. And so the level of precision that's in the organization and the, and the accuracy of feedback around you, you're swimming in a feedback-rich environment as a leader and probably in your life as a person. For the most part, we don't harvest it. We don't take advantage of it and say, okay, what's the, what are the few things that I'm doing that are getting in my way? One or two things that are really like getting in my way in terms of really being a more effective person or more effective leader. And what's the one or two things that I could really shift that would take my leadership to the next level. And that, that's all around you. People know what that is. And um, so that was a big learning The the vertical axis on the profile is development. How do you evolve from more reactive to creative, even integral. And if you look at our, upper quartile sample if you talk to uh, I talked with Zaf Rachi who's a close colleague of Jennifer Garvey Berger who's in your you know in the program and uh, a lot and he said to me he said we would expect that sample to be a, a measure uh, creative to integral so it would it would measure at later stage development that's their hypothesis based on their experience of using both the survey and the and having access to measures of development. Hmm. So we're looking at a sample of what creative to integral leadership would look like and how that compares to reactive leadership. And that's a big deal. And to get that really right down to here are the key themes that come in, you know, we're, we're looking at how senior leaders talk to other senior leaders uh, when we're saying, here's what you can do to be more effective. And that's a really rich conversation. It's a, it's a vulnerable conversation and we got to listen in on it. What I, what I, yeah, that's one of the, so there's a couple of things. First of all, let me just check. Um, you said like highly creative. So this mid creative to highly creative. Did you say that that for you yeah. when you talked um, was mapping onto moving from um, self-authored to self-transforming or I, I think I had misheard that. We can't say that precisely. No. But what we know from our research is that the kind of numbers, I think the average creative score for our, um, for our high creative group was 85 to 90%, somewhere in there, um, uh, compared to our norm group, so a percentile of 85 to 90%. And from our earlier research on the relationship between stages and um, the profile, we would say that's that's getting close to what an integral profile would look like. Yeah. And, um, and there's more research there uh, to really ferret that out. But I would say we're looking at uh, a good, solid, reactive, uh, a good, solid, creative to integral group of leaders in the, in the yeah. upper, high, what we call high creative group. I mean, so what I love about reading this book and what you discovered is, is that, well, what formed the information was, as you just described, it's actually the comments that other leaders have said that they uh, like 
in, in the leaders that they find the most effective? Why do they find them the most effective? And so it's not just, um, you know, a leadership expert or a new leadership theory, but it's actually really going into the minds of hundreds of thousands of leaders around the world and saying to them, you know, what are the attributes that, that you like in the leaders around you that you find really effective and the ones that you find less effective and more reactive. And I think that's, that's something beautiful in that. Yeah, it's really compelling. And if you look at what we're all about, look at what you're about in the art of developmental coaching, how do you develop, how do you work with people in a way that develops them both vertically and horizontally, but helps them transition into more evolved stages of adult development? Um, what we're really all about in our work, or a big part of it, is creating data and an argument and framing that supports and encourages vertical development. In this book, it's relentless. I mean, it's relentless. It just keeps coming at you with, when I reread it for proofing for, you know, for the publisher was like, wow, this book just keeps coming at you layer upon layer upon layer about the unique differences between uh, reactive and a creative to integral kind of leadership. And it's, it isn't that we went out and said, what, what makes leadership effective? And asked leaders that. We just looked at these leaders, these senior leaders were rated very ineffectively. They were rated as ineffective as leaders. What are the written comments? These leaders were rated as really effective. What are the written comments? And, I mean, for example, you look at the strengths. The top 10 most commented upon strengths of the highly creative leader group. Uh, and compare that to how reactive leaders score on those same strengths. It's really, really different. It's like two and a half times different. Mm. So, and the, what shocked us about the top of the list for the high creative, most effective leader group was how strong the themes were around people. Six out of the top 10 uh, uh, themes that emerged in the data were people. Number one was strong people skills, and that had a score of 79. Now, 79 out of 100, that means that roughly 79% of leaders, and it's probably even more than that because of the way the statisticians kept score, had feedback that they were strong with people skills. And then you just go right down the list. Visionary, team builder, personable, leads by example, passion drive, good listener, develops people, empowers people, positive attitudes. So six out of 10 are people and teams. Um, and you don't see those on the high reactive top 10. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, go ahead. I mean, yeah. I, like, I think that's significant, isn't it? Because people might say, um, you know, like where is um, someone's kind of orientation towards achievement or, or their drivenness? I mean, you did say passion and drive, but perhaps these are like not always the skills that people would associate with, with highly creative leaders. Right. It's, it stunned us. It surprised us. And then we were surprised by why we were surprised because we're talking about people in teams all the time. Right. I think it was the magnitude of how extremely focused the comments were on people's skills by comparison. Whereas the reactive leaders were more technical domain knowledge, brilliant, intelligent, really smart, you know, kind of uh, strategic and so on. But, um, what, but, but rated ineffective as leaders. And that's really interesting. And, and so if you think about the definition we started with um, around leadership, especially in this time of high complexity. So we work with large organizations and they're, they're challenged to, they're challenged in a number of ways. Uh, uh, one dimension is we want to we want to grow, or uh, the organization's got an opportunity here to go two x in the next couple of years, um, double their size, and everybody's already twenty four seven, and uh, 
And we're doing that in an environment that's increasingly disrupted and complex and uh, ambiguous and uncertain. And so it takes a, a very high level of maturity and collective intelligence. This is the key, collective effectiveness and intelligence to lead today. Um, and therefore, one must learn how to step beyond their personal brilliance, their personal intellectual or domain knowledge or technical expertise and all that. And it mean, doesn't mean you're not making a heck of a contribution. You could be making a huge contribution, but not really effective as a leader. So how do I step beyond what got me here? All this talent that I have and scale it and scale it to and through others. And that's the challenge of, le of leadership today. And so it's, we, we actually came to the title after looking at the data and saying, wow, this is about how do I scale this capacity and capability in the organization. And, th and that, that requires that you be good at relationship at scale, one-on-one, one-on-self, one-on-team, one on, -team, one -on organization. Uh, it becomes a non-negotiable in the complex times we're in and with the challenges that come with growth and so on. And so um, remarkably different set of skills um, and one rated really effective, the other rated really ineffective. The other thing, one of the other things that just blew us away, we've been, we were, we were, we've spent a bunch of time looking at the top of the list, biggest different differentiators. And we said, well, let's look at the, and when we sorted the list, let's look at the bottom of the list. What are the things that either have no gap or where reactives are scored higher than creative leaders? And that list blew us away. Um, so when we looked at that, we realized that six out of the top 10 strengths for high reactive leaders were at were literally no or inverse gap. And, and you know, at first that didn't quite sink in. Then we went, oh my gosh, uh, they're actually either equal or even a little higher on these things. And these are things like intelligence, brilliance, results focus, domain knowledge, technical capability, and so on. So we, we had to make, came to the conclusion, these are either equally talented groups of leaders, or if you had to give it to the nod and just raw intelligence or creative brilliance, you give it to the reactives, reactive leaders. So let's just call it even, equally talented, and yet reaching uh, and yet experience uh, 180 degrees differently as a leader. Mm. Equally talented, couldn't be more different as leaders in terms of their effectiveness. So I think, how come? I mean, you've been speaking into that. How come? And, and I think we can start to maybe define what a reactive leader is. And, and you are, in a way, doing that. But what makes them different from a creative leader? So how, how, come, uh, how come that's happening? You know, they've got a, they've got a different set of strengths, uh, the ones that we all recognize, but the results they're having are vastly different. Well... Uh, a couple things. Um, they're, they're doubling down on what got them there. So these skills that I've mentioned, the, the, react, the domain knowledge, technical brilliance, the creative capability, and so on. These are really talented people, and that's what got them there. And um, in fact, you don't get there if you don't have that. So equally talented group, both groups have it. You don't play at these senior levels in large organizations unless you're really, really good. And they've come through an incredible gauntlet of selection and challenge in order to get there. And then the, the game, the game has been changing the whole time. And I'm not sure we really develop leaders for the changing game because the higher you go, the more the game becomes about, how well can you work with people in teams and across the organization in order to leverage your own capability to get a multiple on it? And that doesn't happen with reactive leaders. They stay with what got them there. 
and um, don't develop that other capacity. Now, the other thing I would say that's even deeper than that, and this gets to what socialized mind is in the way that Keegan's describing what socialized mind is all about is they're identified with their unique capability. So in the socialized mind, we, we define ourselves from the outside in how others see us defines us. Mm -hmm. And so, so these strengths, these strengths are me. Uh, I have to be this way or seen this way all the time in order to not fall from grace. Uh, and as you move higher in the organization, that fall from grace becomes riskier and riskier. So I double down on them. And this is me. I am this creative genius. And we work with a very, very senior iconic leader. Uh, you would know him uh, if we mentioned his name. Um, got highly reactive feedback, got 30 pages of written comments, um, proclaiming his brilliance and his contribution to the organization and how difficult it is to work with him. And uh, he literally would not take it in. Just literally, he put the 360 on the shelf and never want to look at that again, did everything he could to scuttle the effort in the organization. To the organization's credit, they said, look, this is valuable for us. We're going to continue. And then a few weeks or a month or so later, he had a free weekend. His wife was out of town. Uh, it's going to be alone. So he packed it in his briefcase. And over the weekend, he read the feedback. Midway through the weekend, it was a four-day weekend. He called his 25-year assistant or 30-year assistant and said, come on over. She came over. He read the comments or part of the comments. She said, yeah, that's it. His wife came home and he told her what he'd been learning. She just compassionately said, oh, you have such an opportunity here to end your suffering. And he went in on, after the weekend, called an all-hands meeting, held up his profile and in tears talked about his commitment to changing. And what he said that was so powerful was, I have to find the same joy in helping others create, bring out their creative capacity as I do in, ex in expressing my own. Now that's it. And it's a shift from, that's going to require a huge shift in identity because I have to step back. It's not about me anymore and my brilliance and creative ability. It's about how I bring that out of others. How do I help others tap in themselves that same kind of creative genius that's unique to them? And that's a very different capability and a very different identity. And so it's a huge shift. And that identity shift is the shift from socialized to self-authoring mind. I'm not so defined outside in anymore. I'm much more defined and focused on what matters and creating a future that matters. It's less about me and it's more about us achieving a, a future worthy of our deepest commitments together. And that's a big shift. And so we think the kind of leaders that we're seeing in the high creative group have made that shift and the kind of leaders we're seeing in the high reactive haven't yet. And this reframed for us the Peter principle. So if you're if you work in management very long, you hear about the Peter principle. You're you're promoted to your highest level of incompetence and then you cap out, you know. And it's a brutal notion. It has certainly some truth to it. You you see it happen, you know. But I mean, come on, you're promoted to your like promoted to your highest level of a competence, and then there's no more future for you that to to advance or to you know. It's like really tough concept, and and we actually, in looking at this data, don't think so. I mean, these are equally talented groups. It isn't about competence. 
It's about development. So you're promoted, you're getting promoted or, you know, the job is evolving, growing as the organization grows to where it puts you over your developmental head or you're promoted to your highest level of development. And the reactive structure of mind, the socialized mind is not complex enough for the complexities of leadership. It's, that's, it's not about your brilliance, your intellectual capability, your ability to drive results. It's not about any of that. It's not mature enough yet to scale capacity and capability in the organization. And it puts you in over your head uh, pretty quickly in complex environments. And so that's what we, I think that's the big idea is that we've missed development. We've missed what you are focused on, Joel, in the art of developmental coaching as a field We've seen it as competence, and certainly competence is required, and you can be promoted beyond your level of competence. Uh, you can reach a limit there, but more often than not, we're reaching a limit in terms of the maturity of our inner game, and when that shifts, all kinds of possibilities open up for leaders, and I think that's what we're seeing in this data. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Um, uh, one of the things that stood out to me too was that you also noticed there was a higher percentage of women in the um, highly creative yes. um, data. Like that, um, yes, you maybe there was less women overall in the samples, but there was higher percentages in the highly creative. I wonder if you could speak into right. that. Yeah, so if you just look at our total database, we have – about 60-40 um, men to women. So 60% of them are men, 40% are women. That's not a surprise, especially since our database is more senior. Um, and when we sampled, we did representative samples of these groups. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but um, uh, only 28, I think it was 28% of the high reactive group were women. Now, if it was, if it was representative of our norm base, it would have been 40, right? But only 28. And it was 52 or 55% of the high creative group were women. Hmm. And so women are, and we see about a tw 15 to 25 percentile point difference in the scores between men and women in our database, women being more creative and evaluated as more effective. And then that came out in the sample. And then when you look at the written comments, you start to understand why women are so effective. If it's all about people, and it's scaling leadership, you know, in the organization is, you know, the ability to be in relationship at scale. That's a non-negotiable. Well, women are bringing that. And they're bringing a different kind of leadership into the corporate environment. And it's a huge contribution. And so the, the way groups get collectively intelligent. You know, Peter Senge is famous for one of his statements that most groups, uh, collective intelligence of most groups of leaders is below the average intelligence. So we come together and we actually interact in a way. We cancel ourselves out in a way that has us playing at a level of a collective intelligence that's below, average, below our average intelligence. <laughs> Whereas if you can lead relationally and build the kind of synergy and trust and openness and directness and ability to challenge and so on uh, and do that in a way that builds relationship, then you get synergy. You get where the collective intelligence is higher than the average intelligence of the room. And we absolutely have to go there in order to, to thrive amid complexity 
the challenges we face are more complex than any one person. And if when we come together, we actually dumb down. Well, that's a problem. And so women are bringing a huge contribution in that way. And it's unfortunate, and it needs to change, um, that they struggle to get into senior ranks. So patriarchy still is the dominant form, and uh, that needs to change. Hmm. And it isn't just about diversity. It isn't, I mean, it isn't merely about sort of having a representative sample in your team and some notion that, that does help bring other perspectives and so on. It's actually more powerful than that. I think women are teaching us how to have deep relationship in the context of organizations, uh, work in the context of work, and why that's so important and effective. And that when we looked at all this, we stepped back from it. And while we put it earlier in the book, it really was a reflection on all this data. We said, so what are the conditions that have to be present in order for leadership, conscious leadership to scale in an organization? What are the conditions for that uh, nuclear reaction, if you will, to happen? Mm. And it's like the metaphor of a diamond. A diamond has to have just the right conditions to form. Otherwise, it's a rock or a lump of coal or something, but not a diamond. That's then the right pressure, temperature. I don't know what all those are, but if they're not present, you don't get a diamond. You get something else. And deep relationship was one of the conditions. And we, we see that both in the data and we see it in our experience that the leaders who have a transformative impact on their organizations do it do so in relationship they as Malali says love you know the, the, the CEO of Boeing and then Ford uh, just uh, says love your people love them up and not only is that given as human beings we spend so much of our lives in our workplace not only is that just intrinsically valuable it also creates high, from it also creates high level of engagement and um, people willing to give all of their discretionary energy to the mission and so when i know that i'm really cared about deeply cared about and that the people around me have my back and, I, and, and we built a kind of um, high trust environment where we can really tell the truth to each other and help each other grow and develop. That's a very rich leadership environment. And it turns out that those kind of businesses significantly outperform businesses where that's not the case. The second condition that we saw and see is what we call radical, radical humanity. These leaders are radically human. They, they let their guard down. They start with, I'm the problem. If, we, if the system here needs to transform, then that means I do. And so they lead out loud. They learn uh, transparently. And they invite them, their team, into the same process. And so the first step in transforming an organization is to start with yourself. And to really get clear on the work that you I as a leader need to do in order to be the change and lead the change. And then I do that in my team and put 
the whole team uh, on a developmental agenda. And so we are learning from each other, with each other, and supporting each other's development. And we're doing that in the business conversation. It's not merely when we go off-site for a team building. And so how I'm showing up in the meeting becomes the focus. I was in a meeting years ago, and the meeting, we're going along, we make a decision, the group makes a decision, and then the senior leader stops a meeting, so they bored. And I checked out. And I checked out when we made the last decision. And I realized I checked out because my pleaser got in the way. I'm a ple- I, I want to make nice and please, and I actually disagree with where you came in on the issue, Joe, and you came in, Joe, with the boss. You came in really like your mind was made up, and so I just backed away. And when I think about it, I disagree with the decision we made, and I'd like to reopen it. And Joe said, you're right, I did it again. That's how I do it. I come in as if my mind is made up, and it's not, and I'm open here. And they revisited that conversation. Another five minutes, they, they, they made a different decision, and one that they all felt was more effective, more a better decision. And there's development and coaching and support all happening in a business conversation. It's not separate. Hmm. Everybody learned uh, in that conversation. And it didn't take more time. In fact, it was faster because they actually made a better decision. And they didn't spend 20 minutes processing it. It, it literally happened as fast as I described it. And so this is the radical humanity. And of course, that plays back on relationship. Relationships build in that kind of the trust and the rapport and the love builds uh, when those two things get in play. So those are two of the six conditions that we think top the list. And when you look at the, the, the top 10 strengths, it's people stuff, and then, of course, passion and drive. So there's purpose, vision, and so on. You got that. Uh, but then you got uh, leads by example and person of integrity. Mm-hmm. So it's um, deeply relational and radically human. And what a relief to hear that too, you know. Um, I, I'm just um, remember reading in the book as well, you said that, this passion and drive that actually is a, you know, reactive uh, leaders will often score that they score highly on passion and drive, you know, higher than the creative, the highly creative leaders, but that actually you, you kind of said often the comments would associate more drive drivenness to the reactive leaders and more passion to the creative leaders. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, again, it speaks of, um, if I think of of drive, you know, like that could be at the expense of the people potentially, you know, it could have a, a positive side to it, but it could have a, you know, a kind of, um, yeah, like a drivenness at what costs. And and then I think of passion and I think of how that's just infectious, you know, yeah, like it, it has an almost like an attracting or an inspiring quality to it. So again, there's a difference there, it seems. Yeah. There's no question that overdrive or aggressive drive, self-interested, ambitious drive, uh, uh, has a downside. And so Robert Kaplan, um, senior researcher at Center for Creative Leadership, wrote a book called Beyond Ambition. He talked about people who were leaders who were excessively driven and the cost of that and how their identity was shaped around that kind of ability to get results and so on. So uh, we see that in this data that, uh, that they're actually getting higher scores on drive and passion. And the, the researchers didn't pull that apart. What's drive and what's passionate. It's a nuance. And so it's subtle, 
but they did have uh, they did like 40 themes for strengths and liabilities 40 each so there are a lot of themes that came out of this data and there were sub themes under all of those and so when you start to look at the sub themes uh, creative leaders got significant scores for servant leadership reactive leaders had no comments about being a servant leader uh, creative leaders had higher scores on commitment to organization versus commitment to self. It was reversed with reactive leaders. Higher scores on commitment to self versus commitment to the organization. Egocentric was another thing. Scores were you know, zero for creative and significant for reactive. So when you add all that up, you start to say, well, the the structure of motivation, the drive itself, is a different is differently sourced or structured. One sourced more in my own need to be the one versus I don't matter so much. Uh, what matters is creating what matters, <laughs> and um. So kind of ambition versus service. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that's a big shift. And so both are results focused. Both are getting results, driving results, but in a very different motivational system. One is very effective. It creates alignment, passion around vision and direction. The other is more... Um, I'm forcing it. So rather than drawing forth, I'm actually forcing it. And it's in service of my success. So I put you in service of my success versus I'm in service of our success. Very different. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, if, you, if we think about um, socialized to self-authored, you know, you might say, oh, when you get to self-authored, you you actually find your own voice um, more clearly. You know, when you're socialized, you're made up of the, the, all the internalized voices right. uh, that, you've, you know, that you've accumulated since you were born. And, um, but it seems like they're coming from very different places, like the self-authored is actually often driven more by a sense of their own internal values and a sense of purpose. And I think that often is, you know, if you start to tune into purpose – and meaning which come online much more significantly there then there is this kind of benevolent uh, benevolence or kind of servant service oriented dimension to it yeah i think it's i think the shift is from being authored by others to being self-authored and then as it moves into integral it's actually being authored by that which is larger than self Mm. by higher, you know, higher self. So it becomes, I become the servant of something much bigger than me. Mm. So that's a trajectory. Start out trying to prove myself. And then I, I have to disidentify with that. And that's the shift. So it isn't, it's not merely that the uh, self-authored begins to orient on uh, their own deeper sense of purpose and vision. That's part of it. The other part of it is I have to let go of all the ways I've identified with having to be so relevant or significant or smart or important. And those two things go hand in hand. And then you're functioning in a much more self-authored way. And as that evolves, you actually begin to become aware that something larger is wanting to author you. Mm. And yeah i mean we like what i would say to people listening is as well as check out the previous podcast that we did together because we i think that was a beautiful conversation where we where we went into that and i know that's kind of a it's a topic that i'm uh very passionate about and i know you are too like this sense of almost like what does life want with us yes um yeah uh, I'd, I'd love to ask you about um, 
you know, like how you see leaders grow and you are talking about that, but say there's a leader listening right now or a coach that works with leaders and they, and you feel like, Hey, I'm, I think I might be reactive. You know, I think I might be pretty reactive. What would you suggest in terms of that leader starting to, to develop themselves into a more creative style? Yeah, well, a couple things there. We have a whole chapter on how you how leaders do that in their organization, and we have another chapter on how you do that in yourself. So, um, and they're they play they play together. But uh, in the chapter on organization, we have a really great case study. Uh, if you go to uh, scalingleadership.com, you'll see a short video of this leader speaking about his journey. It's a 10-year ten ten year journey. So we have 10 years relationship with this leader. His name is Jeff Hilsinger. He was a COO, CFO when we first met him. He's now a CEO in another organization. He's gone from about a 30th percentile leader, so like bottom third in terms of effectiveness. Not contribution. I mean, the guy, was, the guy is as smart as they come, incredibly brilliant. Um, making a huge contribution to the organization and rated pretty ineffective as a leader, highly reactive. And uh, he shifted, shifts that over 10 years. You can see his profiles, there's four of them, move progressively um, toward uh, about a 90, 95% effective and scores across the board shift. So he took it on, and that's the first thing. And in, in the video, he's quite like it's, it's humorous because he's just like he scored really, really high on arrogance, and he's like, you know, like, if you're a leader, you can always be more effective. And that's what I, I didn't get, and that's the kind of thing as an arrogant leader you kind of were prone to miss. <laughs> and he's very humble about it, and. Uh, so he, um, we have that story of how he transformed himself in the book and what happened to organization. And so, and, um, so I would say there's a couple things or a few things. Um, one, uh, you need to get feedback. You need to locate yourself. How am I showing up? Am I getting a multiple on my leadership or am I canceling myself out as a leader? Where do I land in this spectrum of leadership that we described? And what's working for me and what's not? That's a hard thing to do, um, but it's vital. Any, any living system or mechanical system has process controls, feedback mechanisms that keep it growing and healthy and thriving. So uh, first thing would be get uh, good feedback and then, then distill it uh, on two fronts. What's the one thing, just one, that would take my leadership to the next level? And it could be a strength that's there that you have that if you really leveraged it further would unlock your leadership. It could be a strength that really needs a lot of work. You've got to bring this strength out. You've got to develop this muscle. And uh, so what's the one big thing or what we call the unlocking move? That if I make this move, it brings the whole, my whole game to another level. And depending on the type of leader you are, the last half of the book really gets into the different types that are built into the leadership circle profile. And I don't necessarily mean personality types, but how have you constructed your identity? But more like at the socialized level is what we call more complying. So I depend on outside validation, people liking me, fitting in, belonging. Uh, I got to have acceptance all the time. Or am I defined by results and my drive? That's a different kind of leader. Am I defined by my intellect and my creative brilliance that's a different kind of leader so what how do i how do i show up in ways that are reactive and less effective 
And in the book, we talk about canceling effect. When we looked at the data the, in the high reactive group, they had equal number of strengths and liabilities in the comments. Whereas creative leaders, it wasn't even close. The positive, the strength comments on strengths versus liability or challenges was, I don't know what the, the ratio was like, six to one or something versus 0.9 to one for creative leaders. In other words, I'm literally the harder I go, I'm canceling myself out. And so um, how am I doing that? That's the second thing. How do I get in my own way? What's the one thing there that if I shifted it, would um, really create much more space for my leadership to flourish and, and not interrupt that one big thing. So what's the one big strength that I can leverage and what's the one big liability that I need to really understand, go deep into, and shift? If you do those two things and you do them publicly with your team, here's what I'm working on. Help me with this. Give me feedback. And you create an accountability circle for yourself. This is what we do with our organizations all the time, and this is very powerful. Um, you put yourself in a structure that's designed to be transformative, and it's designed to be developmental in the sense of vertical development. Because what we've just done is define the core reactive uh, from which I need to uh, disidentify and shift and how that would show up if I were bringing out the best in me. And that's a very powerful structure. And those two, those two things alone and done in feedback and with support uh, puts you in a kind of transformative crucible. That's what we... Yeah, and I see how those two things would uh, activate, you know, the, the, you said before, deep relationship, you know, strong yeah. people skills, listening, team building, and yeah. being radically human, um, you know, being authentic and vulnerable and having integrity, you know, just getting into a feedback rich type relationship like that with your, with your team is going to bring out those those kind of strengths within you or, or work those, those muscles within you yep. as well. So, yep. That's, that's it. We, um, so if we go back to those six conditions, we've talked about deep relationship and radical humanity. Well, kind of the overarching condition is making this fundamental shift from reactive to creative. If that doesn't happen, and if we're not about that in an organization, then the kinds of things that we're trying to boot up, like we're trying to transform the culture, we're trying to make it more agile, more innovative, more adaptive, more resilient, more engaging. Um, these are, this is language we put around the kind of cultural change efforts and their core to the business being more able to compete more relevant to their customers and so on really core um you literally can't create those kind of core cultures on a reactive structure uh, of leadership it just won't boot up and so we we now have any number of clients just saying look we have to make the shift as a leadership organization mm. or or the future that we're trying to create it's much more nimble, agile, resilient, adaptive, innovative. That kind of future isn't going to happen. <clears throat> so fundamental to scaling leadership is being in this journey together. Yeah. Orient, like a, a developmental orientation. And, of course, Bob Keegan, Lisa Leahy wrote a book called The Everybody Culture, which is about their research on what they call deliberately developmental organizations. So organizations that are designing, they have designed the system so that everybody in the organization is in a development process. It's not just a, 
an HR function training programs, although that's part of it. It's built into how they do the work every day. It's, um, and that's another condition is to have you systematized development. And uh, that's part of the senior team's uh, role is to think, take ownership. It's not a, a staff function. Staff function, HR can be an invaluable ally and resource. But the ownership, the leadership or development of leaders throughout the organization is, is the CEO's function hmm. with the senior team. And when that gets really clear and, and I own it and I'm the problem and I start with myself and then I move that to the team, and we have a lot to learn here together. And then you scale that through their teams and into the organization. That's how it happens. And then it gets systematized. And so uh, fundamental shift from creative, uh, from reactive to creative, deep relationship, radical humanity. And then the, 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 another one was they orient on higher purpose. So this is the self-authored to being-authored shift. And it gets becomes the organization's conversation. So what are we collectively oriented on that matters most? What are we about that we, what are we creating that we deeply care about and we think matters? And that builds tremendous uh, commitment, alignment, focus. You build your vision and strategy around that. So people are, captivated if you will uh, it connects to their personal purposes and highest aspirations and builds alignment and that's a condition and and this notion of purpose and vision is the heart of the of the um, creative leader operating system it is the self-authoring center you know <clears throat> and so uh, it it is a condition. Um, and then the last condition we sorted out on was what we call a generative tension, that everybody in the entire organization is in tension, uh, a growthful tension, a generative tension between <clears throat> what we're aspiring to on one end and how we're showing up or the kind of results we're getting on the other. So it's a fierce commitment to telling the truth about what we want together and what we're creating as our current reality. And that can be around uh, the dynamics of our team. It can be around measurements of the kind of engagement culture, culture engagement scores. It can be around a lot of things, um, business results, and so on. What are we after? together that matters and how are we doing against that that kind of tension is generative if you hold it and continue to tell the truth about it with each other uh, the natural tendency in that structure is for current reality to move toward vision and at the personal level it's for development it is the tension that pulls us draws us forth as um, great human beings and leaders. Mm. Those six conditions, we think really, uh, when they're put in place, scale leadership, scale conscious leadership in the organization. Mm. Well, beautiful kind of uh, um, synopsis there of these six qualities. And um, I just want to kind of thank you today for, for going into, um, you know, into the topic of uh, scaling leadership. I, I remember you saying like, actually leadership is about scaling other leaders. Yes. I think that's, that surmises this whole picture that we're painting today. Um, and yeah, of course you'll be one of the faculty on um, the art of developmental coaching, talking about this shift from reactive to creative leadership and, how we can kind of activate that in our clients, the leaders that we're working with. 
Can't wait. <laughs> to it. Yeah. All right, Joel. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks, Bob. Have a yeah. Plan to catch. <laughs> yeah. All right. We don't want, don't want you to miss that. So take care, and we'll speak soon. Yeah. Yeah. Great to be with you again. We op- you open up such wonderful space to, mm-hmm. to uh, speak into. I love it. So great. Look forward to to the next one. All right. Take care. Yeah. Bye bye. Hi, it's Joel here again. I just want to take a moment to tell you about the art of developmental coaching. If you've been inspired by the podcast today, this is a program that's going to teach you how to coach developmentally. And it features some of the world's best authorities, experts in this field, including Bob Anderson, uh, Jennifer Garvey-Berger, Robert Keegan, uh, Rob McNamara, really world-class faculty and they're going to teach you how you can coach developmentally and I think it's an idea whose time has come. We just need people who can help people grow vertically to meet the demands and challenges of, of these times, you know, these complex and certain times. So it's kicking off on the 7th of February. Registration is open till the 6th and you're going to get the chance to be in live interactive teaching sessions with the teachers. They'll do coaching demos. You'll be able to ask questions. Um, You'll be able to be in practice groups with your cohort. It's a global cohort and already hundreds of coaches have signed up. Uh, There'll be transcripts of the recordings. Everything's recorded on video, put into a course environment and fully downloadable. It's such a rich learning experience. So uh, if you want to know more about that, you can head to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching. See you next time.